get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human behavior, what a trip. And today, literally and figuratively, we're going to have a good trip with Steve Slay. And uh, I'll tell you the trip that I just was referring to. On um, several occasions, Steve has uh, taken me to one of the two local airports, either um, LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, or... um, Burbank Airport, and then back to my home later, and uh, he he does this kind of um, work just a couple of days a week, and he does it mainly because he has fun visiting with people, so we're in trip for a, a good time. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Dr. Good. Yeah, you can just call me Jonathan. That's my thing, is, is uh, taking people on trips, yeah. short ones. Yeah, and you have a fun time doing it. I really do. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I meet some very interesting people, and and uh, it, it's just been a blast. It's, it's certainly not for the money. It's it's for the fun. Yes. And when you say uh, you're having fun, you also can have fun even with a with a crabby uh, a person who you're driving somewhere. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the challenge of it. As far as a lot of these people are very, in, in, excuse me, very much in uh, in a state of flux as far as getting on or off the airplanes and what have you, and pretty pretty wound up. And uh, so part of the thing is to try and uh, unruffle some feathers. Yes. So for anybody who lives in Southern California, if you need a a um, shuttle to the airport, you can call Steve. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not at home, hopefully. <laughs> okay. So um, let's start from the very beginning. Um, and this doesn't have to be a big segment, but what was your growing up like? Where did, where did you grow up and what kind of things did you like to do? Well, I, I, uh, I, I, as I told you uh, previously, I was an adopted child, and uh, I was adopted in Los Angeles and grew up in... Uh, 
uh, various various places, but as far as... But before you go on, were you adopted at birth or several days later or a few weeks? Uh, from what I understand, about three months old. And uh, uh, basically grew up in uh, Inglewood and Santa Barbara, and now I live in uh, up in Ventura. Uh-huh. And, um, California. Southern, I'm a Southern California boy. Yeah, me too. So when you were growing up, did you have both a mom and a dad? Yeah, uh, as far as my adoptive uh, parents, uh, I had uh, had one of each and uh, uh, had a good childhood as far as that goes. And uh, uh, my father was uh, was a wholesale milkman, and my mother actually worked in uh, in uh, the uh, aircraft industry during the war, and then uh, periodically uh, when I was growing up. So when your dad was doing wholesale. Milk stuff. Was he? He was. He was delivering the milk, or what? Oh yeah, he uh, delivered to stores and what have you. And then periodically, I got to ride along with him when uh, when I was young. And and it wasn't until the insurance situation with the company uh, kicked in that uh, they wouldn't allow the the kids to ride along anymore. But uh, it was quite a lot of fun and uh, enjoyed that. Yeah, quite what, a bit. What year were you born? I was born in 1946. I'm I'm 67 years old. I can't believe it, but uh, yeah, uh, time do, does march on. I'm 68 years old. So, um, do you remember as a kid having milk delivered to each household? Uh, we didn't because my dad brought it home. Oh, I see. Uh, we, we had and, and we got we got everything under the sun, and uh, I I became a devout believer in Tillamook cheese of all things. But uh, yeah, no, he br- he brought home just about everything you could you could imagine as far as that goes. Uh huh. And uh, I believe you told me when we were when you were transporting these various times, um, you were a football player in high school. No, I was a swimmer actually. Oh, a swimmer. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was too tall and too too lean as far as uh, for playing football. I tried out, but uh, yeah. they said they said no, and and uh, so with my frame, I went into swimming. And was fairly good at it, but uh, it, it at least kept me from drowning. We'll put it that way. Yeah, you got from one end of the, to the other end. Exactly, exactly. And then as far as surfing and body surfing and what have you, that. That uh, that the water was was a real love of mine. Uh, yes. In fact, my my dad uh, taught me how to swim down in uh, South Bay, uh, uh, L.A. and what have you. And so uh, my thing was swimming. And what high school did you go to? Uh, that was up in Santa Barbara. After we moved from uh, Inglewood to Santa Barbara in 1959, I went to a place called San Marcos High School. Yeah, I know that. In, yeah. In in Santa Barbara, and and the funny thing is that. Uh, uh, I, when I lived in L.A., uh, there was a girl that I knew uh, that went to San Marcos High School, but in San Marcos, California, and we got we uh, exchanged uh, graduation certificates, and they were identical. It was really kind of a weird situation. I lost you. What was the weird part? Well, it's just that uh, she went to San Marcos, and so did I, but uh, it was you know, about uh, 300, 200, 200 miles separating the two schools. I see. So, but, so you, so you and she, were you a boyfriend girlfriend or what? No, no. This was just these were. Uh, she was the daughter of uh, good friends of my parents. I see. Uh, and uh, that's that's how that worked out. If she's listening in, her name's Ray Lane, and I would love to get in contact with her again. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so one of the things you told me when we were 
going to or from the airport a couple of times. Um, you recently re-found this woman that you knew in high school? Yes, yeah, that's uh, kind of the... Uh... Uh, the irony of things that uh, she and I went to high school and junior college together yeah. for a couple of years, and I hadn't seen her in 48 years, and uh, we're having our 50th reunion coming up uh, in August. And so there was kind of a chain of emails amongst uh, some some of the other, uh, quote, kids, unquote. Uh-huh. And and uh, I saw her name, so I asked, I wonder if it would be okay if I emailed her and... and uh, that was back in uh, January, and I've I've since uh, just in January we had about uh, over a thousand emails, and as of uh, just a couple of months ago, we're boyfriend girlfriend again. Oh, that's cool. That's a that's a nice love story. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And she resides where? Yeah, uh, she she lives up in Santa Barbara. She's lucky enough to have been able to to stay up there and and just retired as a school teacher after uh, 39 years herself, whereas I only got 10 years in as, as far as being a teacher. Yeah, and you are um, and you live in Ventura, right? Correct, correct. About 30 miles to meet your honey. Yeah, exactly, a couple times a week, but uh, it's, it's worth worth the drive, definitely. I see, that's good. So um, one big part of your life, at least for a few years, it was quite intense, you were a soldier... In Vietnam, yeah, like uh, so many of my age group, uh, yeah, uh, I ended up. Uh, uh, I, I signed up because I, after uh, uh, dropping out of San Diego State as a junior, I uh, figured that they're going to draft me anyway, so I better go sign up. And, and so I volunteered, and uh, uh, due to a, a broken, knee, uh, previously broken kneecap, asthma, and uh, kidney problems, uh, they said no, but six months later, they uh, drafted me anyway. I guess they lowered the standards. So I when ended you got up, drafted, uh, what was your immediate reaction when you found out? Uh, I, I thought it was behind me, and, <laughs> and so I wasn't the, the most happy camper in the world. I was, at the time, living in Isla Vista right next to UCSB, and, yeah, I, used and to live I, I was in the party atmosphere is what it came down to. So that kind of spoiled the parties. Yeah. And so, uh, was it a shock to your nervous system to oh, be yeah, in the army? Yeah, yeah right. it was. Uh, I mean, uh, I went willingly, obviously, because uh, there's there's uh, there's only two other avenues of approach, and that is uh, putting in time five years in prison or going to Canada. And that those didn't sound very good to me. So I I just took the luck of the draw, and and uh, with with uh, two and a half years of college. Uh, I went in and I was able to uh, get a couple, uh, well, a number of good assignments as far as just because of uh, the college background, uh-huh. and and so I, it worked out very well for me. I got uh, five years of uh, not not the normal four, but five years of VA uh, educational benefits, and uh-huh. and uh, it, it like I say, it worked out very well for me. I went through ROTC and. Uh, got a history and political science degree from UCSB and what have you, and, and so it, it it really worked out really well for me. So when I, you were, I have no complaints. And, and were you in Vietnam? Right, I was there all of 1968. And uh, at any time, were you having to uh, worry about not getting killed by bullets or grenades? Well, that was kind of the weird situation. That uh, part of the time, I was what's known as a public information specialist. Yeah. Uh, I would I would go out in the field uh, to to uh, write human interest stories, take a few pictures, stuff like that. When <clears throat> my primary job was uh, 
working on aircraft as far as sheet metal work goes. And so when uh, we had a lull in, in the lack of bullet holes in the in the aircraft, uh, yeah. I would go out there and and uh, and do some writing and some some picture picture takes and taking. But uh, it seemed that when I'd go out there, that's when uh, they would start deciding that uh, to lob in mortars and what have you. So I tried to stay out of that area as much as possible. Yeah. So uh, so the movies we've all seen over the last forty years about Vietnam, are they fairly um, reasonable to what it was like actually being there? Some of them I would, I would have to say very definitely, and some of them I would say uh, not so much. Uh, uh, I remember uh, being, being asked to review a movie called The Boy, Boys and Company C by uh, MGM Studios. Uh-huh. And, and uh, the, the training part of it was very, very accurate. In fact, the Army, uh, I can't think of his last name, but the gentleman that's on uh, TV a lot uh, with, with uh, his armaments uh, uh, program. Anyway, uh, he was in that, and it was basic training, and along with uh, uh, one or a couple of other movies showing stuff like that was very, very accurate. And yeah. then some of the, some of the stuff in, in Vietnam, to me... Uh, Apocalypse Now was was very credible in the respect that uh, uh, it it showed the uh, the eeriness of of the thing. It was almost like an un unworldly situation. Yeah. Because we used to call this back here the world, and and over there was something something else. It wasn't. Uh, it was kind of an ethereal situation. It was it was not real, but yet we were in the middle of something. Too real is what it came down to. Yes. So um, I would imagine if I, I I didn't I wasn't in Vietnam fighting a war, but if I was, I'm pretty sure I'd be fairly uh, nervous the whole time about getting killed or getting maimed or having my legs lopped off or whatever. And that's that's the thing that uh, the guys and uh, and the ladies, as far as that goes, a uh, lady just passed away uh, just recently uh, in uh, Afghanistan. So I mean, today it's not just the males; it's the males and the females. And yes, it is. You know, it's in the back of your mind, but uh, you you do have a job assignment, whatever it may be, and and uh, you do that to the best of your ability. I was lucky uh, to have been placed in a situation where I wasn't in the infantry or. Or something to that effect. Uh, my heart goes out to every one of those those uh, Vietnam vets that had to had to go through all of that stuff with the, the yeah. temperatures in the 120s and carrying a, a pack and, and a flak jacket and what have you, being totally miserable. And I was just lucky, and I, I uh, that's why I have a thing called survivor guilt that uh, so many so many Vietnam vets uh, have needed help since they came back, and then. The, I had 13 friends that didn't come back, so from high school and college. But uh, it kind of gnawed on me for a, a, a few years that uh, I need to help uh, my fellow veterans uh, to to uh, to make it because I was lucky enough to 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 get through a lot of that stuff. So that was that was my uh, uh, bent as far as uh, trying to do stuff for fellow, my fellow veterans and what yeah. have you. And I did that for about uh, seven or eight years. Yes. So, um, did you experience any post-traumatic stress disorder? Not. Um, luckily, I did. I didn't because I wasn't in in uh, 
you know, like, like say the the infantry, where it was just a constant uh, situation. Yeah, they did. They did have their boredom periods when something wasn't going on, but you know, the adrenaline was pumping quite a, quite a bit. And one of the things that most people don't realize as to why uh, Vietnam vets had uh, post traumatic stress uh, syndrome was because, like World War II, you had oh about a month coming back from uh, Europe or uh, uh, Asia. Uh, or you know the uh, South Pacific yeah. to uh, kind of unwind um, amongst your fellow uh, uh, soon be veteran situation, and so yeah. they were able to talk th- things through. When you came back from Vietnam, you uh, you left one day and you were back home the next, and you might have had a rifle the, the day before, and you're on the street the following day with no time to decompress, no time to uh, talk to your fellow veterans except for except for maybe on the plane and. And that wasn't uh, done, at least not in the airplane that that I came home on. And uh, so it, you had you didn't have that decompression situation that that uh, uh, was really important, uh, just because the the time factor of coming back so so quickly and, yeah, well, and being on the on the street. You were in Vietnam for five years, right? No, no, no. I was I was there. I was home. No, 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 oh, no, no. I was there for only a year. I was there all of 1968, but I ran a program for Vietnam vets for five oh, I, years. I get you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I feel for the guys that extended this so that they could get out uh, early. Because uh, in my case, I was drafted. I put in two years, whereas uh, what they call an RA, regular army, those guys, uh, they would be in for three years. And so well, the tour of duty over there was for a year, and if you extended for maybe six months, uh, then you might be able to get an early, what they called an early out and be able to uh, not have to do the, the additional three, four, five months that would have been on your, uh, your regular uh, uh, run as far as within, within the military itself. Yes. And, and over the years, have you stayed in touch with some of these guys you were with in Vietnam? Yeah, one of my best friends lives right here in Ventura, and he's been a roommate of mine a couple of times, and, uh-huh. and uh, uh, we're still, you know, quite close as far as that goes. Some of the, some of the ones uh, that I'd really like to to uh, still still be able to talk to. Uh, in fact, uh, my blood brother in Vietnam, uh, uh, Johnny C. Jones, if you're out there. Uh, he and I uh, became blood brothers in Vietnam. Uh, very tight, and I just lost contact with him. He he, uh, he moved back east and uh, to to Washington D.C. and I just lost contact with him. But uh, okay. uh, he was he, uh, I'm white. He was black. We used to talk uh, as far as uh, comparing cultural yeah. nuances and stuff like that, and we just became very very tight. Yeah, uh, really a great guy. Him. We're going to take a. Uh commercial break somewhere around 90 minutes, excuse me, 90 seconds to uh, 120 seconds. I'm not sure what. So uh, we're going to stop for a commercial break and we'll come back in a couple of minutes. Sounds fine with me. Okay. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. 
Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Human Behavior, What a Trip. And uh, right before the uh, commercial break began, uh, Steve, you were talking about Johnny C. Jones, and then you were wondering... Where he might be. So, Johnny, this is a long shot, but if Johnny C. Jones happens to listen to the show right now. Yeah, he, he uh, as far as I know, he uh, was from Washington, D.C., but moved to uh, uh, someplace in Georgia, and that's the extent of my knowledge of, as to uh, yeah. where, where he is. I found that out through uh, another uh, Vietnam vet that uh, I was stationed with over, over in, in Nam, and uh, that's that's all that he could get, get okay. for me. So, uh Probability, maybe a thousand or a million to one or more. Yeah, I, I tried the, the uh, Washington D.C. phone book, and there were about thirty of them in there. So that was the problem at that time. I see. So if there's any Johnny C. Jones out there who wants to call one eight six six four seven two five seven nine two, come on over and you can talk with your buddy from Vietnam. Yeah, I'd appreciate it. Okay, so um, at some point. You decided to become a high school teacher. What prompted you, what prompted you to want to do that? My son. My son is, uh, I was in food, uh, food service uh, sales and what have you for about 15 years uh, after I got out of the uh, uh, Jobs for Veterans program with the National Alliance of Business. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I, I couldn't find myself a job. It was, it was in 1981, and it was, uh, jobs were a little bit, rough and every place I seemed to go I was overqualified uh, yeah. for sheet metal work and et cetera, et cetera. so I did that but uh, my, my son uh, was a, is, a, is a school teacher and he says dad you know you always liked instruction why don't you uh, why don't you uh, try that out and so I started uh, t- tutoring for uh, some, some fourth grade uh, kids that were having reading difficulties uh-huh. as, as I did when I was a kid uh-huh. And uh, it was just a natural pre- progression where I, I subbed and, and then uh, went back to school and got my uh, uh, California teaching credential through uh, Cal State Northridge. Uh-huh. 
and uh, it was uh, until until I got laid off a number of years ago because of uh, budget cuts, you know, that whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it seems that uh, teaching social sciences was not as important as, as, as science and math, and so... Yes. Uh, uh, I was. I had been working at uh, the last three years. Was at uh, um, the uh, juvenile hall system in Ventura County, in which uh-huh. I really enjoyed uh, more so than regular high school, quite frankly. And why but, is that? Why you? Well, it, it was you, you. You had more of effect. Uh, I did as much counseling as I did uh, teaching, quite frankly. Uh-huh. And uh, I've I've run across uh, probably a dozen kids uh, that. I bumped into over the last few years that said, you know, thank you, Mr. Slay, for taking the time with me. Uh, I put my act together, and I'm doing pretty good now. And and I haven't been knifed yet, so I guess I did okay. You know, that kind of deal. Well, I think you're downplaying yourself. You probably were a really good teacher and a nice guy, and these kids gravitated towards you and liked you. And, and then it was Well, I, you know, I didn't want to know what they had done. That was one of the things that uh, was kind of a, a basic with me, and, and I just treated them all you know the the same as far yeah. as how I you know the golden rule how how I'd want to be treated myself under the same situation and it seemed to have worked uh, in, in in for me we'll put it that way but uh, I mean I look back on a number of teachers that I had and uh, they're, they're the ones that you know did the extra couple of steps to to help their yeah. students along rather than just instruction that yeah. kind of thing you know so um, over the years do you have former students who still uh, make contact with you? Yeah, I've got a... There's a couple of them that, that live in, in the uh, general area where I live in Ventura. I see. That I bump into every once in a while, and, and uh, you know, they, they'll, they'll come up and say, I'm I'm still doing good, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, and some of them uh, probably it, have It's kids. very rewarding in that regard. So some of them probably have kids, right? Not yet, not yet. Well, let me put it this way. There's one that does, but uh, for the most part, they're still... Uh, uh, ha- have relationships, and uh, you know they've they've uh, shared that with me and stuff. But yeah. uh, only one so far that that has a child. So when you were teaching high school, it was all social sciences. I'm sorry, what? When you were uh, teaching in high school, you're right. You you taught social sciences. Yeah, I I uh, taught history and geography, and then. Uh, uh, taught taught a number of summer school uh, sessions of geography and, and and history also. And do you have a particular favorite part of history that you like? Well, my my thing is is ancient history, and it was totally by accident. It was when I was working on my uh, uh, teaching credential, I needed I needed work to get me through it, and so I I worked for uh, the Oxnard Adult School and giving the GED tests in the uh, county jails. Uh-huh. And so you sit there for 10 hours uh, proctoring the, the, the kids taking the test, Yeah, and you're pretty bored. But And so I went into the jail library, and um, me not being, believe it or not, not being much of a reader, Yeah, uh, I, I was always in the blue group instead of the red group in, in, in school kind of thing, in grammar school. But yeah. uh, I was looking for book uh, that that or books that had lots of pictures and and not a whole lot of reading. But and I just happened to pick up a book on ancient Egypt and uh, and that was 19 years ago and that uh, just totally enthralled me. And so uh, ever, ever, about... ever since then I've been studying that and yes. and writing a book on it. Yes. And how many years have you been working on the book so far? 
basically since since the time that I started reading this stuff was I this was just writing for 19 down, years. Yeah, just writing down facts for my own uh, you know uh, benefit kind of thing, and then uh, uh, banging away on the typewriter, and then uh, a couple of uh, desktop computers, and that cut and paste feature is really great. And uh, I've just um, my book takes you from the very start of uh, ancient Egypt, uh, what they call Dynasty Zero, about 3100 BC, right up to Cleopatra Seven, and we're uh, the last of the uh, uh, self-governing uh, people were uh, were in Vietnam or Vietnam in uh, ancient Egypt. So let me get this right. You uh, happen to look at a book about uh, ancient history of ancient Egypt, and the book had pictures. Right. And, and that's the first thing you saw, and then yeah, that, that was that was the that was the starting factor of it. But then I started reading on it. And I had a teacher uh, when I was working on my credential that, uh, uh, Jeanette, Jeanette, hello, yeah. the lady really uh, turned my life around. She brought me in a ruler, of all things, that had uh, 30 pharaohs on, on the back of the ruler, and it, it represented 3,000 years. And so do the math, and that's 100 years apiece. And I went, wait a minute, there's got to be other people in between, so... Yes. So in my in my situation, I just started researching who's in between, and then, well, what are they all about, and what do they do, and and huh. and uh, that type of thing, and only to find out that basically they're they're the same people as we are. It's just the time frame and the technology is different. Yes. So um, basically, you had these leaders. Each one didn't last a hundred years, though. Exactly. There there are. What I've researched out is is that there are about that uh, they have names and information about about 363 uh, various kings. The the name Pharaoh did not come about until about 1000 BC, and that was because of the Greeks uh, looking at the name Peraah, which means the house that the the king lived in, and so the the Greeks kind of took that name uh, Peraah to Pharaoh. Uh-huh. And uh, that's that's where the name comes from. But uh, prior to prior to that period of time, uh, oh, roughly uh, 900 BC, uh, they don't really know. Well, they have the names, but uh, I can't even pronounce them to this day. And and that's been 19 years of of study. But uh, it's just it's just really interesting that the, there are 363 that we know about, <clears throat> and there's there's probably another hundred or so. That uh, they only have partial names because the uh, the, uh, the hieroglyphs of their cartouche, the uh, the vehicle in which their name appears within, uh, uh, tells tells you who they are. But uh, so many of them have been scratched out and and what have you, and and they've gone through their periods of uh, highs and lows in terms of droughts and what have you. That, yeah. that uh, they they had many many times in which uh, they were in real 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 trouble in terms okay. of just feeding their 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 populace that type I, of thing. I have a couple of very uh, uh, basic questions here. So yeah. the the work you've been doing starts around 900 BC. No, mine goes all the way back to uh, pre pre dynasty days. So it goes I back to 3100 years. Yeah, even before 3100 BC. Okay, how far back does it go? Uh, actually, it, it can go back as far as maybe uh, 8,000 B.C. when uh, the Sahara oh. Desert was actually, uh, 
was actually green, and uh, the Nile River uh, flowed across the Sahara, and uh, basically the people came in from uh, that area as as the uh, climate changed, kind of along the lines of what we're going through, yes. and and uh, they moved into the Nile River uh, area uh, as far as that's where the water water was, and so that's where they were able to uh, start their uh, agricultural situation and domestication of animals okay. and, and so let me that ask type you a of thing. Um, when was when 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 was the wheel invented? Well, they didn't. They. It's funny because uh, that that would have been basically other areas because they used uh, a form of the wheel as far as moving stones around, but basically they were like logs. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, probably the with the Hittites as far as actually uh, using the wheel around uh, about about uh, 1700 BC, 1600 BC when when. Uh, they they used them for uh, chariot chariot warfare and and that type of thing and that's also what the, the the Egyptians did but they they borrowed it from the Hittites which came out of uh, um, Asia Minor or what present day Turkey. Okay, so eight thousand years ago, or eight thousand BC, I should say. Yeah. Um, moving large objects was a big pain in the butt, right? <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. To, to say the least. So how do they actually move these large stones? That's still up to uh, open for uh, conjecture as far as the, uh, there's a number of number of people that, uh, I mean, I could name off people on both sides of the argument going all the way back as far as uh, how the pyramids were built and what have you, because they, 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 with all the hieroglyphics and all the pictures and what have you that that the Egyptians have left behind, they really never uh, put together uh, a step-by-step situation of, of, of how those were built. They don't know whether they used ramps or whether they used pulley systems, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's 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 still open open to uh, debate as far as uh, that situation goes. So it must have taken a huge number of years to get one of those pyramids up there. Well, when you when you figure that there's uh, two two and a half million stones of uh, anywhere from uh, two two to ten tons that go into the uh, the Great Pyramid of uh, Khufu, uh, you know it, <laughs> uh, you got to have a lot of people and a lot of uh, backbreaking exercise to to do things like that, even if you're dealing with uh, uh, levers and pulleys and what have you that. Uh, came about during that period of time. I would imagine a lot of the people who were actually doing the hard labor were getting uh, killed and maimed by these huge boulders. Yeah, if uh, I, I think back to, uh, of course, I, I never had I never had a class in, in ancient Egypt. I, my background was Asian and African history when I was at UCSB, but... Uh, uh, I remember uh, when I was a kid seeing a movie called The Egyptian, and uh, there's a scene in it exactly what you're talking about, where uh, somebody fell under the the rollers, so to speak, uh, went and got got crunched. But there were they 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 found so many bodies as far as uh, throughout the various uh, burial sites in in Egypt that show that the, a lot of these people had major back back trouble. Not only that, they probably got maimed, their feet crushed, their bones crushed. 
Yeah, and that's the funny thing is that uh, a lot of people uh, used to think that uh, it was slave labor, and it's not. It's it's called curvet uh, labor, in which uh, the people would uh, uh, be working agriculture six months out of the year because of the flooding of the Nile and that that type of thing. And for the other six months, they really had nothing to do, and so uh, as kind of uh, paying their taxes to the uh, to the king. Uh, he would conscript uh, these people to uh, to do some work for him in, in lieu of uh, paying crops and and that type of thing, and it kept them out of trouble and all that kind of kind of stuff too. Uh-huh. And, and so it, it it was a kind of a beneficial program going in both directions. But uh, they it they have proven that uh, they had uh, fairly decent medical care. In fact, uh, there was there was one guy. Uh, uh, by the name of Imhotep, that uh, has has been shown to be not only was he the vizier or prime minister for for one of the pharaohs, uh, but he was also a med- medical guy, and and uh, it they actually did brain surgery in which the people lived back uh, as far as about 2600 BC, and so wait uh, wait, wait. They, some guys they, were doing they, surgery on people's brains. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they were boring holes in people's heads, and uh, the, and it shows that uh, healing took place, and so you know that the person lived after after these types of things. But That's they, quite, had, that's incredible. they had uh, various crops and stuff that, uh, uh, just as a quick aside, uh, real real fast, there's a thing that we use on a day, uh, all the time called marshmallows. Uh-huh. Well, marshmallow is actually a plant. It's called the Melikoi plant, and and they used this plant back back in the day for in, in internal things as far as uh, uh, they called it peasants' medicinal stew, where where you would drink it and it would help the, your insides, or you could you could uh, cut it up. It, it's basically a tuber similar to a sweet potato, and uh-huh. it was white and long, and uh, you could put it on burns and, and cuts on your arm and that and that type of thing, and it would. Would help in in that capacity. Also, they also gave it to the children because uh, it was sweet, like sugar cane. So it was, uh, this is where the concept of the uh, uh, marshmallow comes from. Only as to the looks, because what it what's in it today is is not. Uh, it's just a uh, facsimile. It, it doesn't have the properties of what what the actual root uh, has. And I bought some seeds about uh, oh about three months ago, and, I, and they're in the ground and. Uh, starting to sprout, and they're actually a very pretty, pretty flower. Uh huh. So, they, but they're not edible. Uh, yeah, no, they're edible. Yeah, they used to give it to the kids as far as because, uh, like I say, it's it's sweet, uh, similar to uh, sugar cane. I see. So, um, I'm blown away by what you're telling me. So, I, I would have made the assumption, without I didn't realize I was making assumption until we got to talking about it, that uh, all these many, many thousands of years ago, people were doing brain surgery, and I would have assumed that never could have taken place, but obviously, I'm wrong. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it surprised the heck out of me, too, and I've, I've uh, read many accounts on, there's a number of uh, papyri that uh, are available that, that uh, step-by-step on, on a number of different uh, ailments that, uh, whether, whether or not it was a uh, uh, plant extracts that that help the the, the uh, situation, or uh, setting broken bones and what have you. They've they've uh, run across a number of of uh, the people that obviously long since uh, passed away, but uh, uh, that uh, they they mended 
Okay, we're going to take our second and last commercial break. Sure. And then we'll come back. This is very interesting. Okay, okay. So don't go away, anybody. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Steve Slay. And uh, we're having a lot of fun talking about different things. And um, we were talking about ancient Egypt. We're going to get back to that shortly. But uh, Steve wants to talk about uh, veterans of today and how they can still be helped, those who have post-traumatic stress disorder and other situations. So, Steve, take it away and tell us all what you have in mind. Well, what what I really wanted to promote in that regard was that uh, Vietnam and uh, the, the wars of today, in terms of the uh, the warrior themselves, uh, is not all that different. They they have they've had their problems. Uh, one of the things that I did with the National Alliance of Business Jobs for Veterans uh, program was to to help promote veterans to employers uh-huh. that, uh, that they have uh, many qualities that. Uh, uh, that employers can use as far as that goes. Uh, they do, some of them have, uh, you know, some, some problems, but as far as, uh, there's, there's, uh, programs like through the vet center today that, that I was somewhat instrumental in getting, getting going with my rap groups that I had with the Vietnam veterans back in, in, in my day that, uh, they now become, I, I hate to use the word institutionalized, but they're, they're solid programs that, as far as uh, to help veterans out there to to get back into the to the stream of things and and get the job they want and uh, and move on with their life. Uh, and uh, I can't I can't stress that enough that uh, if if you're a veteran out there of whatever war uh, and you're having some difficulties, uh, go to the to the VA. In our day, we didn't trust the VA, but it's it's proven itself that. Uh, 
it's out there to, to help the veteran, whatever war that they may have been in. And so most states have Veterans Administration? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whether, in like in, in California, we have a thing called the County Veterans Service Office in which uh, each county, most counties, we'll put it that way, have a, have a representative that will help you get through any of the processes that are needed to get to get help uh, through the Veterans Administration, whether uh-huh. it be medical care, whether it be uh, educational benefits, whether it be uh, uh, anything along these lines that uh, are, are going to help the veteran to to uh, progress in society. Yeah. But as far as if if you don't, you go to the VA. Just go down there and say, "Here I am. Here's my service number. Here's." Here's my uh, what they call DD-214. That's that's your paperwork that as you as you leave the military they give you and and in in most cases if you have either an honorable or a general discharge they're gonna they're gonna help you out. Uh huh. That's but, good to know. Uh, I can't stress that enough. I, I mean, it's uh, these are these are people uh, today, men and, men and women, that have uh, given of their bodies to. Uh, to support our country in in uh, the time of need, and, and uh, these are great people, and uh, they deserve all the all the help we can get get for them. And are there enough people these VAs to help all the guys and gals who come who come for help? Well, we we would hope so. Um, it, the the VA has is now a, a department, just like education and the, uh, uh, the state, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, defense department, et cetera, uh, and so it still it has the same status, and uh, the the money has become more available than what it was back when I was uh, just getting out of the service and what have you. Uh-huh. But uh, it they're there to help and uh, uh, make them make them work on your behalf. We'll put it that way. Okay, good. I'm glad to know. Thank you for bringing that up. So, uh, getting back to Egypt. Okay. <laughs> um, well, back, let's say, uh, over 3,000 years B.C.? Yeah. Uh, how primitive were they? Did they, did they only live till about the age of 32, or? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a... Um... Uh, kind of paradoxical in some respects that uh, some of them didn't, you know, didn't make it out of uh, into adolescence. As far as uh, that's one of the reasons they had so many children at the time. Uh, kind of, kind of similarity to some of the countries uh, throughout uh, the world today. You have more kids, so that maybe, uh, maybe a few of them will survive. Uh, you also had, you also had the various people that uh, they proved that. That, like for instance, Ramses II, he died at age 92. He he fathered over uh, uh, 200 children, 100 males and 100 females. He's a busy you had, guy. Uh, you had Pepe II, who who uh, uh, died at 86. Uh, there, you, you have just across the board, very similar to uh, what we have today. The, the difference is that uh, we have uh, we have better medical care, obviously, than what they did then, but. But they did have some some uh, uh, facets of of what we have today so, to take care of the people. But uh, uh, you had a, you had quite a cross section as far as that goes, and a lot of it came down to where you were in the 
pardon the pun, the pyramid of uh, of the social stratus, yes. that type of thing. So uh, in ancient Egypt, were people eating mostly vegetables, or were they eating animal flesh also, or how, how did what they do for food? It was it was kind of a mixed bag as far as they had domesticated uh, various livestock uh, throughout throughout uh, Egypt and and going into the Sahara earlier on. Yeah, uh, they, they ate a lot of fish. Uh, of course, you've got the Nile the Nile River right there, so that they're eating a lot of that. Uh-huh. Uh, they had uh, uh, various various crops as far as vegetables and and what have you and and. On a yearly basis, the uh, Nile would overflow, and along with the the mud that was brought down from the highlands in Ethiopia to to act as a natural fertilizer, <clears throat> which they don't have today because of the Aswan High Dam, uh, keeps keeps a lot of that back. So we're, yeah. they're starting to get into little problems in terms of alkalinity of soil and that type of thing that they didn't have back in the yeah. in those so eight, days. So eight thousand years BC. The uh, rivers weren't polluted at all, most likely. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and uh, it was bringing back, bringing down nutrients uh, from from up in the uh, the highlands in Ethiopia and 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 what have you. But uh, you know, it 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 comes down to we have more of a variety of of uh, fruits, uh, fruits and vegetables and what have you today. But they also had they also had meats. Uh, yeah. But uh, that was kind of uh, for the upper class, so to speak. But uh, what they really lived on, for the most part, was uh, bread and beer. Really. And, and uh, but the beer was uh, was fermented, but it was it wasn't nearly as as strong as uh, some of the things that we know about today, like uh, your your malt liquors and, yeah. and what have you. But it was. Uh, it was like what we used to call in the military three-two beer. It was low, low in uh, in alcohol yeah. content, but very high in nu- nutrient value because uh, they didn't drink much of the water because the water wasn't polluted, but it did have many uh, parasites and what yeah. have you in it. So the, and yeah. uh, and it would putrefy over a period of time. Okay, so, so when they were cooking that, meat, that's where obviously the they, came in. they were using fire to cook the food. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I mean that goes back, you know, probably a hundred a hundred thousand years. And so they were just that doing the old thing where they were using yeah. two different rocks and making a spark. <laughs> something to that effect, or waiting on a on a on a good uh, thunderstorm to go across. Yeah. But yeah, as far as as far as the uh, they were using uh, various various means of of keeping the fire going and, and with the with the torches using butamen and and asphalts and various things along these lines. One thing I wanted to, I wanted just to touch on real quickly is is when I I talk about uh, 3000 BC or actually 3100 BC. Yeah. That was that was the time kind of like our civil war where you had two separate. Egypt's. You had the lower and and upper. Upper meaning uh, farther up up river, and it wasn't until about 3100 BC that they became uh, through wars they they united, and so it was uh, the various the various groups with within the the stretch of the the Nile that they were saying uh-huh. no we want to have we want to have our own and forget having a king that rules over the whole the whole shooting match, and so. They, it was kind of an ebb and flow situation that went along with the the droughts of the Nile. If if, if uh, we can't afford to 
to uh, feed our own people, why are we going to be sending food, you know, downriver to somebody else, that kind of thing. Yeah. They have the same things going on then that we have going on today. I mean, yeah. people are people, and it doesn't matter what time period you're looking at. They're still going through the same kinds of, uh, you know, daily tri- tribulations, so to right. speak. And so um, 3100 B.C., how is their language and dialect different from how it is today? Uh, you've got uh, part, well, over, over a period of time, uh, ancient Egyptian language, like I say, came out of the Sahara, and actually uh, it, had, it had influences going all the way down into Nigeria and Ghana and what have you from way, way back. I mean, these, uh, those were the, some of the people that uh, were able to, to transfer. Over a period of time, you had, you had uh, much later in time, you had Semitic influences and what have you. But uh, just like uh, around uh, uh, during Tutmosis the, uh, the Third with the Rosetta Stone, that those, those were the three main languages. You had, you had uh, Coptic, uh, it, uh, not Coptic, uh, Heretic uh, Egyptian, which was a uh, kind of a, uh, to put it, I guess, slang or something to that effect. Everyday life stuff. Then you had you had the hieroglyphics, which is a, a higher form. Uh-huh. And you also had Greek that was that was coming in at the time. And one of the one of the things. Let me let me throw this out real quick. I'm a, a real proponent of uh, of putting uh, the names of the various places back in ancient e- Egyptian. Uh, rather than the Greek names that Alexander the Great brought in when he came in in, in uh, uh, 3, 323 B.C. Yeah. Because those are the original names. And everything you see on television, like the, the name Thebes, for instance, that came from Greece. The The actual place uh, of Luxor and Thebes was yeah. actually known as Wasit. Whereas... Uh, uh, and then Luxor is actually a, contr- uh, a, a breakdown of Il Uxor, which is an Arabic word. So these are names that uh, throughout Egypt that uh, have changed over the period of time. And uh, what I'd like to see uh, on a, a lot of these TV programs and the writing and what have you is get back to the to the to the original stuff, so that uh, you don't have this this yeah. uh, changing over to the Greek and what yeah. have you. We're running out of time. That's, about... my, that's my soapbox. Okay, we only have about 20 seconds left. Um, okay. When do you think you're going to have a book that people can buy about all this stuff? Well, that's a, that's a good question. It's almost like my baby that I don't want to let go off to college. But uh, uh, it's pretty pretty close to being done, and I'm hoping that eventually I'll use it as a textbook and teach on a junior college level in, in, in our county. And That'd stuff. be great. It, it's set, it's set up in a scroll form, so it will be quite okay. different than a regular book. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest on my show. And well, I look thank you very to much for having me. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. And I'll be talking to, with you soon. Thanks very much, and we'll see, we'll see you on the van. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. That's the show for today. I'll be back next week with another show. Come on by and listen to whatever we're talking about. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip! with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.